And welcome to the Questionably Qualified Podcast. I am not John Truxas. I'm Mike Yaks. Um, I know John opens these things with a little one-liner. I'm not going to do that. I did recently learn that Tyson Bajant's dad is the self-proclaimed best arm wrestler that has ever lived. He is, to use his own words, that guy when it comes to left-handed arm wrestling. Yeah, that's <laughs> those are real words. Um, I am going to do, be doing a bit of traveling this week, so me and John, unfortunately, didn't have an easy time to meet, so we're going to do these things a little bit separately. So I'm going to jump right into it with the aforementioned Tyson Bajant, who got his NFL playing debut for the Chicago Bears this week. It started pretty badly. He was, I think, sacked by Jordan Hicks. He fumbled that ball, and it was... uh, Maybe Hicks didn't get him, but he returned the ball 46 yards and a touchdown. The Bears lost by six, so I guess you can see where I'm getting at. That's kind of the difference in the game. He also threw an interception, but he was 10 for 14 for like 80-something yards, which, I mean, isn't awful for your first NFL action at all. I kind of, PJ Walker also got to play this week and I was going to touch on that. PJ Walker ended up playing, starting this week for the Browns and beating the 49ers and just a bunch of callbacks (laughs) to a lot of different storylines we've been talking about. I'll get to all of them in the brief time we have together, but that's just kind of a tease i guess first i'm going to look at a few games that happened this week that were interesting some things one thing i know john will definitely talk about and then i'm going to look forward there's not a lot of great games this week in my opinion and i'm not going to really delve in to kind of the storylines <laughs> last week was kind of like the revenge week i mean if you're if you're looking with a magnifying glass and um but I'm not going to really touch on all of those games. Kellen Moore went up against his old team in Dallas, but was not able to get the win. Dak randomly led that team in rushing yards, which is insane to me, having Tony Pollard. One of my boys, Brian Hoyer, and his head coach, uh, Josh McDaniels, went up against their former boss and Bill Belichick and ended up getting an ugly win, as we touched last week. Not really any other type of game that could be other than ugly. And then the third revenge game was Brian Dayball and Tyra Taylor going up against the Bills. I didn't really see this, but there's some, you know, hubbaloo about the refs kind of jobbing the Giants. But, I mean, they scored nine points, so I'm not really sure what we're talking about there. So I'm going to move on to kind of go back to the the Cowboys game, and John, one of John's favorite topics. So I'll, I'll ask a maybe a question here at the end of this segment. <laughs> but to my recollection, uh, Mike McCarthy unleashed holy hell regarding his clock usage at the end of the first half that had me pulling my hair out. I really didn't understand it. They had something like, 45 seconds after a first down play into the Chargers territory, maybe to the 40. And it looked like, I think, I forget who caught this, uh, maybe Michael Gallup. It looked like he got out of bounds, 
but the referee called him down or his progress was stopped before he got out of bounds so the clock was ticking he had two timeouts to use he did not use one so they ran like 15 seconds off the clock on a first down so it's not like you're there's i don't know i'm trying to explain something and it's that there's nothing to explain he should have used the timeout and in fact went into halftime with this timeout never used it it was truly bizarre after that they got even closer I think they ran two plays and then got a first down down to about, I would say like the 20 or something, like 18, and they had eight seconds left. And literally everybody thought that he had called a timeout, but what had happened was the clock operator, who apparently is better at managing a football game than Mike McCarthy, stopped the clock because he thought that Mike McCarthy would call a timeout in that situation. He let five seconds run off the clock so that he could kick a field goal with three seconds left and go into halftime without even trying to score a touchdown. Complete malpractice. Some of the stupidest shit I've ever seen, and he does it time and again. And I just, I, nobody at the halftime show said anything about this. They didn't even broach it. I don't know if it was, you know, I think it was like Ryan Clark, and I can't remember who else. Maybe it was because they didn't understand what happened, or if it was maybe an error. But, I mean, I, I don't know what you're afraid of. I mean, Troy Aikman kind of, like, walked around it without actually calling him out and saying this was stupid but i mean i i don't know man like i i don't know at what point you can't just say this guy fucking sucks that he's doing a terrible job at stuff like this and like you can't just i don't know for better lack of a better term you can't get away with that and be an nfl coach you cannot be that bad at it i mean Anybody, anybody who has even a casual relationship to football and its rules and what you should do in order to best maximize your potential to score points knows that you had to call the timeout and not let the clock go from like 45 to 21 seconds and then to at least have one chance to throw it into the end zone with eight seconds left. Like, I don't know, man, I'm... I'm kind of out on that. It's cr- it's crazy that he was able to do that shit. But we're going to move on to my Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions looked pretty ho-hum uh, this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. They did lose David Montgomery pretty early in the game. Uh, they didn't have either of their starting guards. The defense, uh, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, has... You know, he's had a lot of injuries in the secondary, so it was some people were predicting a trap game, but the Lions handled them pretty, pretty easy and steady fashion, uh, twenty to six. The defense looked great, but Tampa Bay has been kind of bad at running the ball, so you knew that a Lions team that had handled some better rushing attacks would make them pretty one-dimensional and put a lot of it on Baker's shoulders one worrying thing that i saw in that game is that there were a couple times that a receiver got open over the top but baker missed the throw that's basically the only thing that i thought was kind of a warning sign uh throughout this game also the inability for us to run the ball against the buccaneers after demo went out 
Uh, you know, I love Craig Reynolds. He made an insane block that sprung an Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown. But I don't know how effective he'll be. We'll see. You know, he, he's probably going to be that workhorse back this week with Montgomery out. So they'll have more time repping with him. So uh, the Lions going to be more familiar with him. Hopefully they get Jameer Gibbs back. Um, so that'll be great. Another thing I loved from that game, Jamison Williams had a huge touchdown catch, 45 yards down the field. I mean, it was a contested catch, but he he was wide open if Goff kind of made the throw. Um, but he's a little bit under pressure, so that's kind of that's a hard one to put on Goff. And especially, it went for a touchdown, so it was awesome. And then, so that's all we have on the Lions. I'm sure John might want to put in a two cents. He informed me they were number two in the NFL and DVOA through six weeks, which is fantastic. And with the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers losing, they are tied for the best record in the NFL. So that is awesome. Yeah, so to circle back, P.J. Walker started for the Browns. They ended up taking down the Eagles. This is kind of funny in a sense because... When we circle back to the Bears, who had cut him in favor of Tyson Bagent, it's kind of funny to see P.J. Walker did not play well. I mean, I'm not going to, like, don't get it twisted. He has been the third string basically the entire season for the Browns, so I'm not sure how much, how many reps, if at, if any, he has gotten to this point until last week. So that's kind of one thing that I would say to kind of caution that. But he did enough to beat the 49ers a note from that game is that obviously now this week people are saying the lions are amazing i saw some people saying they're the best team in the nfl i i'm not i'm not ready to say that i think they're very clearly with the eagles i would say right now i still think the 49ers are the class of the conference you know christian mccaffrey went out uh debo samuel kind of banged up and yeah the cleveland defense is good and this leads me to, obviously, a sad point that people are giving Jim Schwartz more flowers. And, uh, sure, okay, good for, good for you. you. You did good against the Niners. But this is a thing, I, I will point this out, the Lions did stuff like this under him all the time. He, he's a pretty uneven coach, right? I think he had this game circled. I think he saw the, how the Ravens are kind of, they're so inconsistent on offense that I don't think he really game planned for him. I think he had this one circled. And this is something that had, well, the Lions were so up and down with him. Even when they were good, they would get blown out. They wouldn't show up. And he'd say, what is what is going on? This team is going to win. You know, his best team, I think, was in uh, 2014 and won 11 games. But, you know, sometimes they were just, you, you didn't really know what you're going to get. Like, that is kind of what's different about uh, Dan Campbell, but yeah, he, they, the Browns gave a 28 points to a, a Baltimore team that, you know, as a division rival, you'd think would have a little more juice. They, you know, have problems on the offensive line. They weren't, they haven't been able to run the ball because, you know, Dobbinson's out. Hill's kind of been banged up a little bit. Gus has been banged up, but they're able to put kind of a lot of points on the Browns. But then, you know, they're up this week for the Niners and, you know, good for them. They did great. You know, you can't really say much about that. I'm just going to wrap this up really quick by looking at a couple of teams, a couple of games this week that I'm excited about. The only ones I can think of 
there are three that I think are good. I'm not going to really dive too deep into them. Obviously, the Lions playing those same Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, I think, is going to be an amazing game. Um, I mentioned I don't think there's going to be David Montgomery this week. I, I don't know a ton about Baltimore's injury situation and whether or not they're getting guys back. Or you know, I know they're coming back from a pretty easy easy win over Tennessee, but that was in London, so usually there's like a jet lag situation. The Lions are getting three points, something that I don't really understand given the travel situation that the Ravens are going through and kind of some of the games they've played and won. Like, I'm not, I mean, they're giving them the standard three-point line, and I guess that's fair, but, and then we'll see. We'll see what happens. That defense has been really good. I don't think they've really played a ton of good, balanced offenses. And we'll see how balanced Detroit can be if they only have Craig Reynolds and not Gibbs or Demo in the running game. But that's going to be a great game. I think the game of the week is the Sunday night game. Uh, Dolphins going to the Eagles. That's going to be a crazy game, potentially. Potentially not. You know, I think in a big situation like Going into the link on Sunday night football, you can have some uh, nerves, and we'll see if that high-flying offense from Miami can really get going. I think, you know, Slay's been bad this year. He might be out. Jalen Carter's also questionable. He went out of the game last week where the Eagles lost to the Jets. I'm sure John will talk all about that game. He was pretty peeved by it from what I remember talking to him. Um, So that'll be an interesting one. I kind of expect the Dolphins to score a lot of points because I think the Eagles' defense has kind of been a little bit spotty this year. That's kind of what I'm going to say. Another one that's going to be fun is the Chiefs against the Bolts. That that should be fun in an AFC West matchup, Chiefs versus uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, these are two teams that have kind of just been mat in winning games. The Chiefs have obviously got the GOAT. Patrick Mahomes. I've seen some rumblings, and John might talk about this, that they could trade for Marquise Brown, which would be, I think, a really huge upgrade for them. And something that could maybe put them back on track as, like, looking the part of this, you know, what we expect from the Chiefs. They just have such a bad wide receiver room. We've talked about this a ton. It'll be interesting to see whether or not <laughs> the head coach of the Chargers can put together some kind of defensive game plan for the Chiefs. They've been kind of sad on that side of the ball, even though they only, you know, gave up 20 points to the Cowboys this past week on Monday Night Football. But So they're going to be on short rest. Those are the three games that I think are interesting at all. I think most of the other ones are one of the ones where I'll be talking to John and kind of laugh about a situation where, oh, maybe this is silly to look at. I'm not going to kind of do that. I've already taken up too much time. Maybe John will cut this up and get some of this, some of my musings out of here, but it's been good. I'm going to throw it to John. Thanks. All right. Thanks for passing the mic my way, Yaxi. I wanted to just start by saying congratulations on the big win over the Bucks last week. I know that a lot of people don't think the Bucks are that great, especially after watching them get beat that way. 
But getting those double-digit wins against teams that are right there in the middle in DVOA are kind of the hallmark of a good team. So, as you mentioned, the Lions are now up to second in total DVOA, which still seems like a weird thing to say, but here we are. 2023 is a strange year in a lot of ways. Either way, it's a great win for them, and I am looking forward to watching them continue this week. They, they're doing things well on both sides of the ball, and it's always fun when a team is clicking that well. A team that's not clicking that well, rather obviously, is of course the Chicago Bears. And we touched on Tyson Bajan's debut, which really wasn't great, and I don't know why we'd expect anything better this time around. Even if you're getting more first-team reps, this guy came out of Division Two just this past season, and we didn't see much there to suggest that he's going to be great. He started the game by giving up the fumble six and ended with an interception, and somehow got some praise for that performance, which I suppose is always tough when you get thrown in there, but that's obviously not going to get the job done against uh, just about anybody. The interesting part about the Bears game to me is that you're still missing a lot of basics, and it could be Fields, it could be someone else. Like, it's, it's hard to assign blame when, when so many things are breaking down, but to start that game against the Vikings, against the defensive coordinator in Brian Flores, who we know likes to bring pressure almost all the time, the Vikings lined up, brought extra rushers, and the defensive end for the Vikings just came in entirely untouched and blindsided fields for a sack. Maybe he should have adjusted the protections, maybe somebody blew a protection, maybe the coaches aren't prepping them correctly. Either way, that's the sort of play that is just uh, encapsulates the dysfunction that's going on in Chicago right now. Because you can't, you don't see that out of good teams, right? Good teams get beat because maybe one player is better than the player he's lined up across from. Not because they just forgot about someone and let him get a clean shot on their quarterback. So the Fields injury isn't exactly a surprise because that's the way the Bears have been playing pretty much all season. And pretty much all of Fields' career for that matter. We don't have to talk too much more about the Bears. I don't mind picking against them this week. I am taking the Raiders on the road, which seems insane. But anybody's going to beat up on Tyson Bajan, even if he is, you know, the son of arm wrestling royalty, apparently. The other revenge game that you mentioned, one of the revenge games you mentioned, the Kellen Moore game, was an interesting one to watch. I, I expected that game to be more entertaining than it was, for sure. The Cowboys were very much the Cowboys. You nailed every point that I wanted to make about Mike McCarthy, so thank you very much for taking care of that for me. It's just a criminal misuse of timeouts and a criminal mismanagement of the game. And it's those kind of mistakes that, that lose you games in the regular season, that prevent you from getting bye weeks, that later on burn you in the playoffs if, if that's what ends, if you even get that far. It kind of reminds me, a lot of the knock against Andy Reid over the years has been similar in terms of game management, where he makes some very strange decisions in terms of timeouts, in terms of when to go hurry up, and most of that criticism was very justified. And it's kind of gone away now that he's won two Super Bowls, but the other part of it is that Andy Reid has pretty much always led a team with one of the best offenses in the league. And that's even before he had Mahomes, when he was Donovan McNabb, when it was some of the backups that came in for McNabb in Philadelphia, when it was Alex Smith. He's always had his team at the very top of the offensive charts. And so you're a little more willing to let those game management bits slide when that's the case. And that's clearly not the case with McCarthy and the Cowboys or McCarthy and the Packers, for that matter. So those mistakes become even more glaring, and you got to wonder when Jerry Jones or someone else in the organization is going to step in and take that away from him, because he's already admitted to lying on the interview, and you'd think that at some point you'd stop giving someone like that a chance, but here we are again. 
The Chargers really blew that game in classic Chargers fashion. Justin Herbert missed multiple wide-open shots to Keenan Allen, which is just strange to even see. I, I, I usually don't see him miss those kind of passes. I don't know if it's something about a nagging injury, but either way, it's the sort of thing that, again, the Chargers just fall victim to week in and week out, year in and year out, and it's part of the reason that I took the Cowboys to cover. They barely did, but the Chargers will break hearts almost all the time. We've already touched on the Mike McCarthy piece, but I did want to go back just quickly to the Jim Schwartz bit that you mentioned because, yes, he's getting a lot of flowers again. The Browns managed to beat the 49ers. The yardage totals to the 49ers weren't very pretty. It was a good showing by the Cleveland Browns defense. There's no doubt about that. And I don't think there's any doubt. We haven't said that the Browns defense isn't good. I think we just said that the historic talk is a bit ahead of itself. I kind of still think it is. I mean, sure, that was a good performance. You also had some really terrible weather. You were playing at home. You benefit from Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey all going out of the game at various points. Samuel and McCaffrey didn't return. Williams did, but obviously having an injury to your best offensive lineman doesn't make things easier against a team of Miles Garrett. Look, it's a good performance. Obviously, prefer to see that over the opposite. But I, we just need to pump the brakes a little bit on thinking that they're one of the best defenses we've seen in recent memory. If you just look at Schwartz's track record alone, then you have some pretty significant evidence that he's a good defensive coordinator, but not a miracle worker. So, for example, if we go back through his history, he's had five jobs as a defensive coordinator or head coach. He took over as the defensive coordinator for the Titans in 2001, the head coach for the Lions in 2009, defensive coordinator for the Bills in 2014, DC for the Eagles in 2016, and then the Browns this year. So if you look at the four prior stops, in Tennessee, their defense went from 2nd to 25th in points allowed per game. Now, points allowed per game isn't a perfect stat. A lot of it has to do with your offense turning the ball over, stuff like that. But 2nd to 25th certainly isn't good. The Lions, when he took over as the head coach there, went from 32nd in the league in a very famous year to 32nd in Schwartz's first year as the head coach there. The Bills jumped from 20th to 4th, and the Eagles jumped from 28th to 12th. Some of them are bad, some of them are good, some of them are very good. We're not digging into the context of the personnel changes that happen along at the same time. I just think it's fair to say that he's not a miracle worker. He needs a little more than just the arrival of Jim Schwartz to elevate a unit to the top of the league without doubt. And with that in mind, I don't think I have much hope for the Browns for the rest of the season because Watson still isn't going to be great when he does come back, and the defense will be good, but it's just hard for a defense to maintain that level of, of consistency throughout the season. If it not for two missed field goals, they would have given up 23 points and lost to the 49ers at home. The last bit I wanted to touch on before we kind of got into the picks for this week and the matchups that we're most excited for I don't know why I'm still saying we, knowing that it's just me for this segment and you asked for the earlier segment this week, but, you know, the format's throwing me off a little bit. But I was talking to another of our friends this week, Andy, and we were discussing the rankings of the current QBs in the NFL. I would love to hear what Yaks thinks about it when we get back next week, and I'd also be curious to hear what anybody any of our other, other listeners think about it. But it became particularly interesting at the end of one game last week that I am the most aggrieved by which is, of course, the end of the Philadelphia Eagles game. So let's see where this discussion takes us. I'll go with the top eight, because I find it to be a nice, easy number, and I felt like I was sort of cramming people in if I wanted to go further than that. So my top three go Mahomes, Burrow, then Allen. I'm not going to fight too much if you want to put Allen over Burrow. I think that's pretty reasonable. 
I will probably fight if you try to put either of them over Mahomes because I just don't think either of them can do the sort of things he can do on a regular basis and without the mistakes that you see out of someone like Allen. So you have the physical freakishness of Allen, you have the incredible poise and demeanor of Burrow, the ability to make very dangerous throws look easy, and Mahomes kind of has all those things. Maybe not to quite the same extent that each one does, but he captures the majority of what both of them can do in one one person. So that's the top three right there. Then I think there's a significant drop before you get to the next tier. The next tier for me probably goes Lamar, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Jared Goff, and Trevor Lawrence. And this is where I know there's going to be a lot of discussion about how this ranking came about. I have Lamar there in fourth. A big part of that is his MVP season from a few seasons ago. And it's very fair to say that I shouldn't be confident that we're going to see that version of Lamar again. With the current schedule that we're on with the 10-and-a-half-month-year-old in the house, uh, little Jack helps us wake up early, but he does go down for a nap right around the time of that London kickoff, so I was able to watch almost the entire Ravens-Titans game last week. And, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another for the Ravens. Sometimes they have offensive line injuries, sometimes they have receiver injuries, sometimes the receivers are dropping passes. And honestly, sometimes Lamar is just missing guys. And those are the sort of mistakes that hurt. But I also know that he is capable of elevating his offense despite the pieces around him in a way that not many quarterbacks are. And so for right now, I would give him that fourth slot. In the fifth spot, I would put Justin Herbert. He has everything he needs to be higher than that and be right up there in the Mahomes-Burrow-Allen conversation. But he still makes mistakes. He still checks down a little too easily. And QB wins are a bad stat, but at some point you have to do a little something more than what we've seen out of him. The way that that game ended against the Cowboys was just not pretty. You have to be able to make a better throw than he did at the end, or you have to force the issue some other way where you can start pulling out some of those games. I know that his coaching hasn't been great. I know that his defense hasn't been great. But you watch those guys in the top tier, and even Lamar Jackson, and he's been able to overcome things like that in the past. The next one on my list is Jalen Hurts, which is a tough one. I kind of want to put him lower, but a big part of that is just the the sting of last week. Last week was a rough one for me, y'all. I've had an interesting history with Philly, to say the least, and I picked Philly not only in our picks to cover against the Jets last week, but I also picked them in our survivor pool. And the moment that Hurts let go of that pass off of his back foot, floated it across the middle, I knew that it was going to be a pick. And it sure was. So instead of forcing Zach Wilson to go 60-something yards to get his team into range for a field goal to win the game, he just handed it right to them and set them up in plus territory, so field goal or even better, and blew a game that they absolutely should have won against the Jets. It's not the kind of mistake we saw him make last year, but I think before people get too ahead of themselves, which I think many people in the sports media world and many Philly fans did in the offseason, Last season, almost everything went right for Hurts. He had a great receiving core. He had the best offensive line in the league. Nobody got hurt. And he had plenty of time to break down plays or decide to run if he wanted to. You're seeing a few cracks in that foundation now. And responses like the one he had in that Jets game make you worry that maybe he's not capable of working outside that infrastructure uh, as well as you might like. So I have him in the sixth spot right ahead of Jared Goff. Goff has been an interesting career, obviously, traded as part of the Matthew Stafford trade, and he still has limitations as well, right? I mean, this is below the top tier there, which means they all have limitations. 
Goff's limitation is if he can get pressure in his face in particular, then he's going to struggle a little bit. But the way that he's been operating the Lions offense, the way that he's been handling some of that pressure this year, it's really been impressive. And whatever the book was that Vic Fangio put out against that old Rams team and Jared Goff, it doesn't seem to be working as well now. And with that in mind, he's making some great throws that, that really make things fun. So I have him right there. Trevor Lawrence is the next one on my list at number eight. He reminds me of a slightly less physically gifted Herbert. So he doesn't have the same arm that Herbert has, but he does work through reads quickly. He's got great feet and he's close. If you just cut down the mistakes a little bit, then then I could see him climbing this list as well. But for right now, I'm going to need to see some of the turnovers cut out before that actually happens. Notable omissions, you know, two is not on this list. I think two is very good. I think he's perfect for what Mike McDaniel wants to do in Miami, but I'm starting to get a little whiff of the, the Shanahan thing there, where I'm not sure the Tua part of it is as important as McDaniel himself, the same way that in San Francisco you have Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo putting up some, some kind of mind-numbing stats uh, in that system. Another notable omission that I do want to talk about is Matt Stafford. He's been terrific this season, and I think if he had been healthier last season, I'd have him right sort of in the middle of this list, right around the Herbert range. But until I see him stay healthy, I'll just kind of leave him off and, and add him on later this year if he's able to stay healthy for the full season and still be slaying it because, man, he does some of the same stuff that Herbert does in terms of the insane arm talent. And I think he's he's a little better in terms of doing things in, in crunch time. So we'll see what happens with Herbert and the Chargers this year or when they replace the coach again. But yeah, for the time being, that's that's the top eight that I had there. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Lamar, Herbert, Hertz, Goff, Lawrence. Yes, we touched the two games that I'm most excited for this week, which are Lions, Ravens, and Chargers, Chiefs. I think both of those could be great games. I'm really excited to see how they play out. I also think they're going to tell us a lot about all four of those teams going forward, all four of whom have, have high hopes for the postseason. EX also mentioned the Miami-Philadelphia game. I'm going to say that I plan on staying up all night to watch that one, but I said that about Cowboys-Niners too, and obviously that didn't happen because it turned into a blowout. So we'll see what actually ends up happening there, but that, that should be a fun one to watch. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap up this week's edition of the Questionably Qualified Podcast with our four picks. Last week, we went an abysmal 1-3, which sets us up at 13-6-1 for the year. So still pretty good on the season, but definitely need to rebound a little bit. This weekend, we are going with the 49ers, minus 7 at the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think Minnesota is good at anything with Justin Jefferson out and the Niners are going to be looking to bounce back in a big way after losing for the first time in a while. I think they're going to come out, they're going to be stacking up points, and the Vikings have almost no one to scare you on the offensive side of the ball. They're also playing a very boomer bust defense, and uh, the 49ers can obviously boom without much trouble. The next one I'm picking is the Lions, plus three at the Ravens. I was a little surprised to see that line that high, just because, like I said, it's something every week with the Ravens. So, is there a world where the Ravens put a stop to the Lions' run and they really stomp them? Like, absolutely. If Lamar plays great, if the receivers don't drop any passes, that Ravens' defense is good enough to give Detroit trouble, that's absolutely possible. They also just kept kicking field goal after field goal against the Titans last week, and they'll be coming back from London for this game. Something always seems to go wrong every drive, and you're not going to give up at the Lions if you're kicking field goals every time. So I love getting a full field goal there for Detroit uh, going into Baltimore. The third one I have is Chargers plus five and a half at Chiefs. We've talked a little bit before about how wacky divisional games get. 
the Chiefs should be the better team by quite a bit. But Herbert is obviously very talented, and the Chargers need to win a little more than the Chiefs do. Plus, they've played the Chiefs really tight over the last few years uh, in pretty much every game they've played. So I like the idea of them being able to cover five and a half against the Chiefs. One of the few times they didn't in recent history was in an overtime loss where the Chiefs ended up scoring a touchdown and winning by six. So they're going to play tough. It's going to be a fun game, and I think the Chargers are going to keep it close enough to, to cover that line. And the final pick for this week is the Buffalo Bills, minus 9.5 at home against the New England Patriots. This is the other version of a divisional game here, where the Bills under Josh Allen have just absolutely owned the Pats, and I see no reason to believe that this year's version of the Pats is going to turn things around. So yeah, love that one. Happy to see the Bills under 10, and I think they'll be able to put a, put a thump on the, on the Patriots this week. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back next week, hopefully in the usual format, for another edition of the Question Me Qualified podcast. Thanks for listening.